0: Good morning. How are we doing today? Excellent. I don't think I turned my mic on. Maybe I did. I don't know. Welcome to Portico Church. My name is Jason, and it's my privilege to open up the Word of God for you. So, how's 2020 going for you? Yeah. All right. <laughs> let, me go, let me go back down here. Let me start over. All right, let's just go right in. We're going to be in Jeremiah today, 31, verses 31 through 34. And this is the last in a series called Running on Empty. It's something that we can all resonate to. I think that, see, I'm still in 2020, that as we cross the threshold of the new year, we're expecting things to change, and they have. There is change. But none of us want to live in the world that we experienced in 2020. So the idea of this series was, How do we prepare ourselves as God's people? Are we only God's people insofar as things go according to a plan that I at least have, I'm a vote, I can have a vote on that plan, that I can be be able to live my life according to my terms to some degree. Well, that hasn't been any of our experience. It's been loss. So we talked about, you know, not running away. Warning on empty requires that you don't actually uproot yourself from what God is doing, that you don't rip yourself out of the soil of God's providence. And secondly, we talked about what is the source? Like in Jeremiah, are are you drinking from broken cisterns? Are you filling your life with things that are empty calories? That's not going to last. We learned last week about investment, didn't we? Are, are you investing your life into God's plans? Or are you just pulling back and just, I'm going to be on pause until I can work my plans out again? Listen, friends, you need more than that. You need more than a map, don't you, to get through 2021. I, I don't know how your 2021 started. I got an email yesterday from dear friends of ours in California that we grew up with. And one of their children, their baby didn't make it through delivery. So that's 2021. So many of my family who had brain cancer out of the blue, that's 2021. Friends, we are not going to finish this if we're waiting for things to come back to normal. This letter is written to people in exile. Israel is in Babylon, not because they want to be there. And they're looking for anything that will give them hope. And we know what exile feels like. We know what Babylon feels like, even for God's people today. It feels like isolation. It feels like there's no longer a purpose in your life. It feels like that's just kind of drained out with everything else. It feels like you're on your own. And it feels like life is forever going to be unstable. The ground just continues to shift under your feet. There's got to be a better way. And God's prophet, Jeremiah, writes to God's people in Babylon who are suffering in exile, ripped out from everything, ripped away from people, ripped out of God's temple, no way to really worship anymore. So God has a word for that, what it means to finish well, what it means to actually be able to run the race. So we're going to go there, and I want you to think about this gospel that we read, everything that God has done to save us. And I want you to think about this for a moment. Is this book, is God's word, is the gospel, is this just information to you that you hear and understand, and maybe even believe it? Or is this something that you experience? So I'm, I'm going to say this. If we are not experiencing the Word of God, if we're not experiencing God's gospel in such a way that it changes who we are and our affections and even how we walk through season of disaster, you're eventually going to just back off and walk away from it. It's more than just information. We know that Scripture teaches us as we trust God, it actually transforms us. That's what we need to finish. So running on empty, yes, we're all there. All of our gas tanks feel like they're on empty. But God needs to give us what we need to finish this race. So we're going to jump in here and be thinking about that. Is this just information to you? Is this just, well, there's a lot of good things in here. It's kind of like a life map. And if you do most of them, you'll have a better life. And maybe if you're lucky and you do enough of what God says, maybe you'll get to go to heaven. N- nothing in here says that. Nothing. In it. So let's find out what it does say. We're going to jump into Jeremiah Chapter 31, verse 31. This is kind of a famous verse. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We all have a lot of things we want, and and most of them are good. And yet, in many ways, ashes. Ashes. We come before you humbly this morning, Heavenly Father, and your word. And we ask that you would open it up for us, that we might behold its treasure. That we might be transformed even today into happy worshipers of you. So we give you this time and we ask this in the name of the ascended Christ. Amen. That's a famous passage. Have you, have you read it before? Have you heard it before? You probably have. It talks about covenant. Now, covenant sounds very religious, uh, very much something you would find in the Bible because you do find it in the Bible. And we've talked about it before. But the language here is very different because it says new covenant. It's the only place in the Old Testament that says new covenant. Behold in the days, there's a new covenant coming. So in this new covenant is the key, both for Israel in exile And for us, God's people in Christ, in exile, if you will, it is the key to sustaining. So we need to understand both this language and what God is talking about this new covenant. It's very key to getting there. And we're going to jump around a little bit. We're going to be a little bit in Ezekiel. We'll be in Exodus because there's a lot of assumption in this uh, text about what we know. So we're going to have to do a little bit of bouncing around. So I'm just giving you a heads up on that. So the big idea here in this text is that this new covenant creates new life. So it's not just more information for Israel. It's just not, hey, someday something good's going to happen. So just hold on to it. No, this is a new covenant. And this creates something in his people. It creates new life. And in two specific ways we see in the text. One is that it gives you a renewed heart. So that your heart actually resonates to the living God. And secondly, it gives you a restored relationship. That your relationship with God, something different has happened. It's no longer just about proximity. You actually are in a living relationship with God. So the new covenant is meant and designed to do that, and if there's ever a time we need to understand what it means to be in a relationship that's based on God's covenant, uh, it is now. So first things first: what is a covenant? We need to answer that question, and then kind of why does it n- need to be new before we even understand what it looks like to have a transformed heart and a restored relationship with God. So if a new covenant creates new life, what what is a covenant? Well, here's the definition I'm going to give to you for our purposes today, and for the purposes of what Scripture is calling us. A covenant is a binding promise for the purpose of a living relationship. Okay? One more time. It's a binding promise from God for a very specific purpose, for the purpose of a living relationship. Well, what do you mean by living? Well, I was thumbing through the internet with my wife because we had a friend that needed a cat, but they were kind of too old to actually have a real cat. Yeah, I know. Plus, who wants a cat anyway, right? That was probably the wrong thing for us to do. But there's actually a cat out there that's it's, it's mechanical. It, it, it's automated. It looks just like a cat. It purrs. It responds, right? The modern marvel of just uh, technology. And people that have it love this thing, right? It's good. It has a purpose. It's great. I'm not, you know, throwing shade on it. But it's not a cat. If you have, if you have one, don't be ashamed, if you have one, you don't have a cat. Can I tell you that? You don't have a relationship with an animal. What you have is a computer with fur on it, and it mimics an animal, and it kind of masks that need that you have for a relationship. The covenant of God does not have any interest in you being in proximity with God or knowing about God, the covenant, the new covenant that, that God's talking about out here has one specific goal, that you would have a living relationship with him in real time. That's where it's going. So that's what a covenant is. It's, it's what God has done. It's a binding promise. He binds himself to this outcome for his people at great cost to himself. So that's, that's what a covenant is. We don't use that language much anymore. Where do we see this covenant in Scripture? Well, let's see it right here, so we'll do that. And then we're going to jump back to a couple other places. So it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. So for Israel in Babylon, in exile, it was like, look forward to this. The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. So God qualifies it. It's not going to be like that covenant that I established where I walked the children of Abraham out of Egypt because they cried to me, and they quickly shook my hand off and walked away. It's not going to be like that covenant. It's going to be different. It's going to be effective to a degree that you've never seen. So let's look at that. Where do we see that? Well, covenants in Scripture start right in Genesis 15. Well, actually, Genesis 12, where God actually calls Abraham out of Babylon, actually. It's Ur, it's the same area, the Chaldeans in Scripture. Calls him out of that to follow him. And God, in Genesis 12, makes some promises to Abraham I will give you family. I will give you land, and I will make you a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's how that covenant extends. And this is how God works. This is the whole framework of the Bible, is God's relationship with his people. Scripture makes no sense if you don't understand. It is God's promises unfolding to redeem his people for himself. It starts in Genesis, it ends in Revelation, and we have successive really these promises being fulfilled. So many times we call this the Abrahamic covenant. And then what happens? Well, let's just walk into Exodus chapter 2. So this person, Abraham, has become a family, and that family has really grown to be a nation, and this nation is in bondage in Egypt. And we see in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So we see right even there, God responding to his people that he's in a love-trust relationship with. He remembers his covenant with Abraham, and what does God do in Egypt? He actually, through successive displays of power, and Egypt was the world's superpower, he, run, he pulls them out, and he brings them to himself at Mount Sinai. This is before they have done anything, right? He, he responds in grace, deliver them out of the house of bondage, out of Pharaoh's hand, brings them to Mount Sinai, and then he delivers to them his law, right? The Old Testament, or the Old Covenant, qualified in the Ten Commandments. He gives them his moral law, which are not just a bunch of abstract rules. They are issued from his character. How would we sum that up? Love a God above everything and love others as yourself, right? Love God, love others. He gives them this on stone. We get that right in Exodus 19 and Exodus 20. And the thing about this is it's life and death. God graciously responds to them, delivers them out of Egypt, pulls them to himself, and he calls himself a husband to Israel. That's the type of relationship he has with them. And he gives them this law, moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. And God rejects it. God doesn't re- Israel basically rejects it straight away. Friends, have you ever had a friend, a ma- let's just say a married friend, and you go out with them, and, like, it's kind of weird because they take their wedding ring off and put it in their pocket. Like, what's that all about? Oh, you know, it's just, it just bothers my finger. Right. You're making yourself available. And that's what happened. That was the essence of Israel. Right? They, had, they were in a love-trust relationship with God, with Yahweh, and they put the ring in their pocket, and he calls them unfaithful. So this is how the old covenant worked. Why so this is this is what I want you to see. Why do we need a new covenant? Because the efficacy of the old covenant worked on Israel's obedience. In other words, the stability of this relationship that God had with his people was dependent on the obedience of Israel, of God's people. It's not stable. Is the law bad then? No, the law is great. It reveals God's character. It establishes a relationship with his people. But it cannot bring about the very thing that it requires. It cannot forge a relationship that Israel doesn't want a part of. So the stability of this promise, it just isn't there. And so we need a new covenant. We need a covenant that is not dependent on your obedience or my obedience. Well, does that mean obedience doesn't matter? Of course not. It doesn't mean that at all. But if your relationship is dependent on how well you live out the call that God has put on your life to love him and to love others, to walk in faith, then you're in trouble. I'm just going to tell you that. I'm in trouble. Has anybody sinned this week? And if you don't know what that means, if you're like, I don't know what you're talking about sin, have Has anybody done anything this week where you know you're probably going to have to answer to God for? It really didn't line up with loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbors, yourself? I have. God provides something different. So is information enough? Is it enough to know what God requires? Is it enough that he set life and death before them and said, if you obey my word and walk in faith, you will have life. But if you don't, if you reject my law and you reject my word, you will have death. Is that enough? It's not. It's not. So this is where the new covenant comes in. So this new covenant actually creates life. How does it do that? First, it gives us a renewed heart. This is so good. So the text says that the law is written on your heart. So God puts the law within them so it's internalized. And he actually writes his law onto their hearts. What is he getting at here? Well, remember, the law is like a mirror. It can show you yourself, but it can't change you. Information is not enough. So in this new covenant, God actually writes his law on your heart. But there's a problem already. Do you know your heart? Is your heart ready for that? Hmm. All right, let's go to Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel, Jeremiah was in Jerusalem writing this letter to the exiles in Babylon. But God inspired another prophet, Ezekiel. But what he says is very similar, very similar to Jeremiah. Listen to this. This is in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So God's speaking to us through Ezekiel as well. So the law of God was to be inscribed on God's people's heart. This is the new covenant. This is how he's creating life so that your heart actually will resonate to the relationship God has with you. You will resonate just not to his law, but to him. And the way he does that is he inscribes his law, he inscribes on that heart of stone. Now, what is a heart of stone? Do you get the imagery? Does a heart of stone beat? No, it doesn't. It's dead. Dead to what? Dead to God. It's not alive to God. It's alive to itself and what it wants and what its heart decided is good. It wants to decide good and bad itself, not by what God is giving them. So what is it like to have the law of God inscribed on your heart? Well, think of the imagery here. In the Old Testament, we have God's law come on stone. Remember Exodus 20? God gives Moses stone tablets that have the law of God in them. What do they do? These stone tablets eventually end up in the Ark of the Covenant. They're there. And this is where God keeps them in his temple in the holiest of holies. In the New Covenant, it's very different. God writes his law on your heart, he doesn't place it in his temple. You, friend, become the temple. And with God's people, he produces a temple where he resides amongst you. Check this out. Listen to how Peter would understand this. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house, like a temple, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So, in essence, it's not just internalizing or memorizing or knowing his law. It's written onto your heart. It changes what motivates you. It's no longer in the Ark of the Covenant. By the Spirit of God, it's written into your life. the Spirit of God works that out in your life over and over and over. That you might love him. But you might trust him. And it, what does it feel like? Well, it doesn't, it's hard. Can I just tell you that? It's hard because it involves death. As God writes onto your heart and brings you to life, this is called regeneration many times, new birth, you are becoming a new creature in Christ Jesus. You are learning to yield to the spirit of God. You are learning not just begrudging submission and obedience, you're learning to love what God has given you to do. That's what a renewed heart is. This is what the new covenant promises. This is what Christ has won for us. So this is what the Spirit of God applies to our lives over and over and over. So let me ask you this: Are you exercising your renewed heart? Anybody exercise this week? One person? Two people? Awesome. You all did. I know you did. I know you people. So when we exercise, it hurts. It's painful. But there's a reason that we do it. Exercising your renewed heart is painful. Friends, I prayed for something during Pray 30 because we as a church are praying for 30 minutes, 30 days to build this dependency on prayer, prayer prayer-filled living. And God actually gave it to me. And I didn't want it because it, it, it takes something away from me. If you're going to exercise a renewed heart, whether that's walking into a relationship that's going to be hard for you, finding the ability to forgive someone, putting something to death, it's going to require something that you want or something that you're comfortable with to die. So it's painful. A renewed heart is kind of violent sometimes. Because the Spirit of God will not let you alone. It's always bringing you to life. Is always moving you towards trusting God. It's always moving you towards loving him more than you love anything else. That is a renewed heart. That is what this covenant does. So are you exercising that? That is painful. So this new covenant brings your heart to life so that you resonate to the person of God. Second, it's a restored relationship. So this new covenant gives you a restored relationship with the living God. Friends, the purpose, remember, the purpose of this covenant isn't just so that you can perform. Well, I thought you said obedience mattered. It does. The purpose of this covenant is worship. You hear that? It's a restored relationship with the living God. You mean in general? No, with you personally, where you yourself are walking in relationship with, with him, Friends, this is why you were created. The longing that you have is never, ever going to go away. It's never going to happen. Because you were created to be in a love-trust relationship with the living God, wherein you live your life to know Him, to love Him, to trust Him, and to enjoy Him eternally. This is what you were created for. So, when we see in this new covenant that God's describing... He says, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and outcome, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's the entire thesis of all 66 books of this Bible. This is where it all goes. This is what Christ accomplished for us. This is the promise to Israel in Babylon. I will give myself to you. This is God speaking. I will be yours, and you will be mine. That's the essence of a married relationship. This is why God uses marriage, because a relationship with God is—well, really, marriage is analogous to our relationship with God. God gives himself fully to his people, and we belong to him, right? He is ours, and we are his. This is what you live for. This is what the new covenant delivers to you through Christ. Here's a wild question. Do you want to be happy? Like, no, I'm a Christian. I'm spiritual. I don't want that. Of course you do. Yes, you want joy and you want happiness. You're built for it. What if you giving yourself fully to God in marriage, right? Like a marriage, giving yourself completely to him, all of us together, is where your happiness is supposed to. that's, That's what resides. That is it a restored relationship with the living God. As the text says, knowing God. What does Jesus say about this? Well, John 17, 3, is he's getting ready to go to his execution on the cross, getting ready to actually accomplish this. And he's praying out loud, the high priestly prayer, John 17, it's great. You really see the heart of Jesus coming out. And one of the things he prays out loud so everyone can hear him is he, he actually defines eternal life. He said, this is eternal life. That they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Not know about him, not know information, that's not enough. That they would be in a relationship like a marriage, in a real love-trust relationship with you. That is eternal life. If everything is stripped away from us in exile, or personally, or through circumstances, if the miracle never happens... But we have the Lord. We have the promised land. We have everything that is promised to us. We have everything that is good. And we actually have a future. (sighs) Friends, this restored relationship that we have with God, this new covenant delivers to us, it removes something from you. Now, if you are in Israel and you are in Babylon, there's one reason you're there. Why is it? sin. It's not really believing that trusting God is either necessary or safe. Or even needed. It's walking out of that relationship. That is exile. Sin separates in Scripture and in life, always. Listen to the end of this promise. You're Israel, you're in Babylon, you know your sins have put you there. Listen to this. For I will forgive them Iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. If that is the thing that destroys life, if that is the thing that removed you, God's saying in this new covenant, if you know me, I'm never going to know your sin again. I'm going to remove it completely, eternally, forever. That is everything. Do you see that? Do you see how Jesus, Jesus accomplishes this? In Old Testament history, if you look at Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement, where they would sprinkle blood on that Ark of the Covenant over the law, you had a purified priest, you had an unblemished animal to slay, and you had a scapegoat that would remove the sin of the people from the camp. Go to Hebrews 8 and read how it understands this new covenant. It's beautiful. Jesus is the high priest. He's God the Son. He has an eternal relationship with God the Father. He walks in faith to that. But he is the high priest. He comes to do this. He doesn't have to be purified because he himself is in an eternal relationship with God the Father. But he becomes the unblemished animal. He becomes the sacrifice. That's what the cross is all about because this covenant is ratified in blood. It takes death to restore. And he's also the scapegoat. We know that he was this was happened outside of the city. It didn't happen in the temple. He was taken outside. He was fully rejected. So the resurrection of Christ is the full promise fulfilled here. Our sin is forgiven, it is removed, we are restored, and we have the ability to have a renewed heart, not because of us, but because of God. He pours his spirit out on us and he restores us fully. You see, the whole sacrificial system was meant to be a shadow. It was meant to be a blueprint so that we would see the power and the beauty of Christ. He's the true mediator, He's the true sacrifice. He renews your heart through faith, He restores your relationship with God through faith. That is it. Listen, you need more than a map. You are never going to finish, you're never going to get through 2021 or 2022 without understanding God's promise to you and it being fulfilled in Christ. You need that. You need your heart to be fully alive in Jesus. Those friends I told you about that Christy and I helped lead to Christ decades ago, they you know, and one of their kids had a baby. I got the email and There's a picture of them. This baby was born, instantly died. And these two young kids basically were holding this child. And as the mom tells us, um, she said, we prayed for a miracle because we knew this could happen, and we didn't get it. But we got God. God's peace was on us and on them. And this loss, as terrible and as awful as it was, we have God. Friends, that's what it means to have your heart fully alive in Jesus. This is what this new covenant from Christ delivers to you. Is your heart there? Seek that. Seek to exercise that renewed heart through His Word and trusting. Seek to have your heart alive in Jesus and walk in this restored relationship and you can't do it on your own. Not only do you need the spirit of God, you need the people of God around the word of God. And this is is what we're doing here today. So this new covenant that's promised has come. It's created new life. Do you have it? Trust him. You can have that forgiveness. You can have that restored relationship. You can have a renewed heart today. And Christian, Christian, Walk in it. That's what we're called to do. Walk in it. Let's, let's, let's do this for 2021. Let's ha- whatever happens, let's have our hearts fully alive in Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. There's so much coming down the pike that is a blessing and also is a tragedy. I praise you that you do not leave us on our own as orphans. You have done everything that we've needed, Lord, to know you. I thank you for... Jesus as the true mediator of this covenant, who himself has overcome sin, has brought victory, who is our sacrifice, who even raises the cup and says, this blood is the new covenant accomplished for us, Lord. Let our hearts be full of this, fully alive in you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.